Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. What's up, 11 o'clock? The more mellow service today, huh? That's interesting. You guys tired or something? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Christmas parties last night, all of that. I get it, I get it. I was uh, I was gone. We had the market last night. That was awesome. I forgot about that. I should have, did you guys come to the Advent market yesterday? That was amazing. But I'm here to preach, so I'm not talking about market. Here we go. We had enough announcements. Christmas girlies are in the house. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> I, I was going to preach its advent on generosity and giving and blah, 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 which is really important, all that. I'm not saying it's not. I did a stewardship talk. I promised I was going to, in a couple weeks, talk about generosity. But in the midst of prepping and hearing from the Lord, I just felt like I needed to talk on something else. So last week, I had an encounter with the Lord. Uh, I was preaching at a church in uh, Sacramento called Jesus Culture. 
oh, oh okay, yeah, Jesus culture, let's go. Yeah, it's, they're a friend of our church, and we love them. And I was um, prepping like the Saturday before, and I didn't know what to preach on. Um, I had prepared three old sermons to preach the next Sunday. And uh, when you guest preach, you kind of have that luxury of recycling old material. And um, that Sunday in worship, I had this moment where I realized I, um, I didn't really ask Jesus what he wanted me to do. Um, so I, I sat down and I had a little dialogue. And I, I was like, hey, so sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, what did you want me to say? Because <laughs> I'll change it. And he said to me, and this is just my inner dialogue, okay? So I, I just heard him say, um, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I want you to be prepared. Um, and had this deep conviction that in that moment that it's really easy to focus on on the things associated with Jesus and not Jesus himself. And I had this deep conviction where he was kind of, I don't know how you interact with God. This is just internal life with my relationship with Jesus where he was showing me how I've been really good at being successful with the things associated to Jesus and not him himself. I had this conviction that as a church, we can get really good at liking the things that Jesus brings and not himself. Like Jesus and a group of friends that I like. Jesus and successful career. Jesus and blessings that come with the path of righteousness. Not God, the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I went to this path. If you have a Bible, would you go grab your Bible? First of all, let me see all of you um, extra gold stars. Here we go. There we go. Just kidding. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to give them to you. So you can have it next week. If you need a Bible, there's some in the back. Take it with you. If you brought your phone, just know you're less than. So um, <laughs> just kidding. If you're a first-time guest, we're so glad you're here. Probably not coming back next week. Uh, <clears throat> you're like, shame. I feel shamed. I want you to go to John, and it's chapter 4, and I just want to share this one thing, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. John chapter 4, it says this in verse 23, Jesus is having this conversation with a Samaritan woman, which that is in itself is controversial for so many reasons. But he says this in verse 23, Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I was convicted when I was led there because I had this I've read this passage so many times. And I had this thought, or I had this realization, I should say, that the Father is seeking a certain kind of worshiper. Like if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a disciple, if you're part of our community, awesome. The 
question is, are you the kind of worshiper that Jesus is looking after, that the Father is seeking? Do you even know the kind of worship the Father's looking for? Because what I, what I want to challenge today is your understanding of worship. I want you to let go of everything you think you know about worship. Because I, what I'd like to propose is even the way we create environments for worship can get in the way of true worship. So what is biblical worship? What is the kind of worshiper that the Father is looking for, seeking, and how do we become that? How do we do that together? You guys okay with that? Let me pray for your souls. Jesus, have mercy on my friends. Truly, I just pray your unmerited favor the energy that moves the cosmos, which is your grace, would be in us, in our mind, in our hearts, in our bodies. I pray that we would be open to receive. I pray right now that we would be freed from distractions and that we would um, respond to the word of God that you have for us. Lord, I pray... um, for fruit, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're a new Christian uh, or you're not a Christian at all, let me just tell you something. First of all, worship isn't a spiritual thing, it's a human thing. Every human worships, right? You all place value, you ascribe worth, you bring your heart, your mind, your body, your emotion, your energy, your money, your resources, your allegiances to something or someone. A couple of things I want to scare you with. Ready? First is from a non-Christian philosopher who passed away years ago, David Foster Wallace. He said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And this is his take as a non-Christian philosopher. If you worship money and the things and, and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will find the need, uh, you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And here's what he says. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are the default settings. Worship as a human is the default setting. It's the hard reset on your life. When you just are left to your own demise, you will follow the forms of worship based on your heart's desires. There's a book that I'm reading right now called Don't Follow Your Heart. 
boldly breaking the Ten Commandments of self-worship. And the author identifies ten commandments of our self-worship. Number one, thou shalt act in accord with your chief end to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. This is like, I want you to see these titles, uh, chapters. Thou shalt never be outdated, but always on the edge of the new. Each of these have a hashtag before it. This one's hashtag okay, boomer. Number three is thou shalt obey your emotions at all costs. Thou shalt be courageous enough to defy other people's expectations. Thou shalt live your truth and let others live theirs. Thou shalt pursue the rush of the boundary-free experience. Thou shalt trust yourself, never letting anyone oppress you with the antiquated notion of being a sinner. Thou shalt invent and advertise thine own identity. Thou shalt force the universe to bend to your own desires. Thou shalt celebrate all lifestyles and love lives as equally valid. These are the 10 commandments that he assesses as the way we worship ourselves in our culture. Do you agree? I would like to propose that the problem with society and culture is not about morality and politics, it's about where your worship lies. That your issue right now Issues, plural, like me, lots of them, have to do with the priority and the direction of your worship. The Father's looking for true worshipers. One more caveat before we jump into a, a new text. N.T. Wright has a really interesting statement. He has two golden rules for worship. Uh, N.T. Wright's a theologian, historian that I love. He says this, there are two golden rules at the heart of spirituality, you become like what you worship. Now listen to these words he uses, okay? And I want you to think about instead, okay, I'm just gonna say it. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So what happens when you worship the creator God whose plan to rescue the world and put it to rights has been accomplished by the lamb who was slain? The answer comes in the second golden rule. Because you were made in God's image, you, uh, worship makes you more truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at the God in whose image you were made, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. So N.T. Wright says this. He says there's two things about spirituality and worship. One, you become like what you worship. This is what David Foster Wallace is saying. As a non-Christian, I think he was atheist, at least agnostic. That you become like the things you value and bring your admiration and awe, your time, your energy, your focus, your drive, your laziness, your abdication of leadership, your indecisiveness. There's a default setting that drives you to the things that you like the most. So let's say admiration and awe. What our culture teaches us is scrolling and binging. Let, let's, let's replace these beautiful biblical words of awe and admiration, which I want to articulate more fully in a second, with words like binging, scrolling, opting out, uh, your feed, uh, or your consuming, your purchasing, your calendar, your spreadsheets, if you use a budget, your, your uh, spending ha habits, your B of A uh, statement, your screen time statement week to week. That's what we're talking about. That's where your worship is. 
when you gaze or scroll, when you stare in admiration or binge watch, when you are self-obsessed with consuming or Zillow, whatever it is, you become like those things. How many of you know it? You become dissatisfied and discontent and, less, and more lonely on social media. It's called social media. Let it makes us more isolated. When you're obsessed with politics, you become obsessed with power and being right and knowing who's right and wrong and whose problem it is and whose it isn't and who gets in and who gets out. We do this everywhere. When you, in the past, the church, they had people they admired who walked faithfully the life of Jesus. They were called saints. Today, we call them celebrities. And the difference between saints and celebrities is a saint could be anyone. It was a normal person who faithfully followed Jesus. Celebrities takes an extraordinary amount of something that no one can reproduce. LeBron is a machine at basketball. That was not an accident. He has, and no one can do it like him. The difference with saints is we all can become one. In fact, Paul calls us all that. The difference is our admiration and awe. The difference is worship. What do you worship? What kind of worshiper is God seeking? Are you with me? So the biblical word for worship, the Greek word, which is connected to the Hebrew word, is here's the definition. I'll, again, get rid of all of your assumptions. I know some of us are like, I love worship. We've got the music up here. We have this talented team. They're amazing. Are they not great musicians? The songs, it's insane. We can go, we go off. Like we get into this room, the lights, the twinkly lights at Advent. Lord Jesus, help me. We got, this, we got this space back here that we call the consecration room, a green room. It's the only private office we have in this entire space when we got this place. So it's booked out 24-7 all the time. It's a tiny little space. And there's M&Ms right now. And there's, um, what else? Popcorn back there. It's insane. I'm like, man, we're so special. <laughs> no one on our worship team thinks that. They're Levites. They're living towards holiness and pursuing God because they know this is a sacred calling to lead us into this. But what is worship? Is it our song of choice? Is it the worship leader that can slap that song? <laughs> With that falsetto and that solo moment? <clears throat> this is the definition. To express in attitude or gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to a higher authority figure, to fall down and prostrate oneself before with reverence, welcoming, welcoming respectfully. So here is, I'm gonna give you two ideas. First image of worship that you need to have is this. It's very uncomfortable to be here. I know that Lynn's gonna get on my black outfit Laying down is not very uh, exciting. But like the, the definition of worship is, uh, the image is like a king or queen and you lay down. This is the only understanding of worship in the Bible. That when Jesus is seen in Revelation 4, this is the image of the elders. Not... Corporate gatherings. 
168 hours a week as the body of Christ, the temple of the most high God, the new creation, the beginning of the eschatological end that this is the first fruits of what's to come, heaven existing on earth, the space where God's people come together for two, an hour and 35, hour and 40 minutes if I go long um, on Sunday and worship is maybe 35 minutes of that and most of us show up late to that a corporate gathering. And the image, biblically, is to lay down, to greet a king and touch the ring and the hem of the robe. That's the image of the, the Bible for worship. The first one is that you prostrate, you show honor. Doesn't that seem ridiculous in our culture where everything's built on our convenience, where we worship what? Ourself. So we get a corporate practice once a week where together, we create an environment for you to do this. To do this with your mind. To do this with your body. To do this with your heart. To do this with your finances. To do this with your calendar. To do this with your family. To do this with your career. To do this with your hopes, your future, your dreams, and everything else in between. With the atoms that make you who you are, that's worship. How are we doing? This is what God's seeking. Not the literal, okay, I gotta make this a religion. That's not what I'm getting at. But are you that kind of worshiper who lays it all down? That's the first image. Let's go to Romans 12. You got your Bibles. Let's go. Romans 12. I'll race you. Romans chapter 12, <laughs> verse 1. Oh, I have it. How convenient is that ribbon right there? <clears throat> See, you don't have that when you got your iPad don't, or your, your phone, huh? Like, hey, Siri, pull up Romans 12. Let's see what happens. It's like, sorry, I don't believe in the Bible. I knew it. <laughs> the last two weeks have been pretty crazy for AI. I'm just saying, if you're reading the news. No, it's not the mark of the beast. <laughs> but it is the end. So let's go. <laughs> just so we're clear, it's been the end since 9 a.m., on the day of Pentecost. Just making sure everyone knows that was the beginning of the end times. Are we, are we good? It, it, we know what time. It says, nine o'clock in the morning, the spirit of God came ushering in the age of the spirit and the end times. And it, kept, it keeps, is it getting closer? Yes, of course. We need Jesus to come back because otherwise it's Terminator. Here we go. Um, <laughs> John, John Connor is just like, what are you doing playing chat GPT right now? <laughs> okay, here we go. You're like, what are you talking about, pastor? All the young people are like, John O'Connor. Okay, boomer. Um, <laughs> it's from the movie Terminator. Here we go. <clears throat> you guys weren't born yet, so just relax, chill. All right, verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore. Now, we've been training on how to read here at this church. Whenever you come across this word, therefore, what's the question that you ask as a good Bible reader? Let's go, disciples. What's it there for? Why is it there? We can't just take 
this one passage, can you put that passage up real quick? We can't just take this passage and try to cheapen it. Oh, okay, I know what you mean. Proper worship, my li- you know, living Sabbath. Well, I, 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 can I just make, I want to make a couple of thoughts before we, I'm going to talk about what it's there for in one second. The problem with worship is connected to the problem with cultural Christianity. It's all connected. There's, you can't isolate one or the other. It's all influencing each other. And it's because cultural Christianity, which we are all part of, has reduced following Jesus down to a prayer that exempts your life. Say the prayer and just live your merry way until you die. Then you go to heaven. When that's not the biblical message of Jesus, right? So that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is we've been formed by culture. So we have been losing our ability to focus and have an attention span for years. And what we've seen, science has proven that our attention span was like, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. It's gotten down less than, than that of a goldfish. You're, and I, I want to argue that the beginning of worship is attention. What you gaze at, what you give your attention to is what you become more like. You take on the nature of that thing or person. So make sure we're gazing at the right person, Jesus. But our culture has reduced following Jesus down to these little nuggets, 140 characters. We try to microwave discipleship and character. Amazon Prime, you know, the gifts of the Spirit. That's not how it works. Or the, the fruit of the Spirit. It takes time and energy, a long direction, uh, sorry, the long obedience in the same direction. And our Christian context is, I'm going to give you three ideas about this passage and we're going to move on. But if we are to read this passage in the sense that Paul is writing it, the therefore requires a lot of work. We have to sit in it. It's kind of like what we do as a culture is we want the we want the 60 second reel of the Grand Canyon trip. Right? Like just go to the Grand Canyon, take a selfie and post it on Instagram so everyone knows you were there and then buy a postcard and that's the same thing as witnessing God's wonder in the canyon. And this is what we do in the church. We come in for our hit I'm coming on Sunday, I'm gonna hear a good message. We don't come waiting for the doors to open so that I can bring my very best. We've been trained in tweetable, fast-paced, cliff notes, hurry. And I, I wanna talk about the therefore. So it's a camping chair. I took a trip with my son and a bunch of dads and their sons where we went on an expedition through the Grand Canyon, off-roading on Can-Ams. We went six to eight hours a day off-roading through the desert of Utah and Arizona as we, uh, we would get to a new location, set up camp, eat meals, talk around what it means to be a, a man and, and had food and sat around a bonfire. We, had, we weren't allowed to bring our phones. Um, it was just four or five days of absolute adventure, and the purpose was to get to the Grand Canyon. And But we're going, it took three, I think it was the third day we did it, right? Daniel was on this trip um, with Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you were there too. And three days, and finally, um, we get to the rim of the, uh, the north rim of the Grand Canyon. We're not, there's no tourists here. It was just wilderness and the edge. And we camped on the edge. We got there right as the sun was setting, so we didn't get, really get to see the canyon. So the next day, I was like, I want to wake up and witness the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. So I set my alarm. I woke up early, and I set up a camping chair, and I sat in complete darkness. 
and it was cold. I'm not a fan of the cold. Everyone on that trip knew that. <laughs> I had multiple sleeping bags. I had a bad experience once camping. I'm just saying, it's coming from trauma. So there you go, okay? <laughs> I almost died. No, I didn't almost die. We, uh, I sat there, I, and nobody was really awake. It was super early. I, I think I woke up at four and just waited. And I, I had an incredible encounter with God, but um, that came as the light began to shine over off in the distance. There was like this haze of light, but then it got, got brighter, and the light kind of cast like a straight line over this rim and it was like me and a couple of feet and it just dropped and there was no you know the no rails i was sitting witnessing the sunrise over the grand canyon and the only words i can use to describe the experience are words like awe majestic glorious awesome it's interesting these are all biblical words used to describe god and if you've ever been patient enough to meet creation in its beauty, creation cries out to the maker. Now, you have to sit long enough to experience that awe. In our culture that's frenetic and anxious and hurried and always on the go, you won't do the camping chair sunrise experience. You will take a reel or a selfie and be satisfied, except it doesn't do the thing that the camping chair does to your soul. And I would say this is a true statement. I'm not going to tell you the details because it's too intimate. The most incredible encounter I had with God in my life was sitting in that camping chair watching the sunrise. I'm talking about a level of intimate encounter that changed my way of understanding God. And it didn't come because I was hurried to go to lunch. It came because I was still. Expectant hopeful, open. But can I tell you something that was interesting? As I sat there, you know what I was thinking the whole time? I wish I had my phone. <laughs> I wish I could experience this wonder through this little tiny device so I can share it with everyone. But now I only have the old form of storytelling where the language that I've been immersed in is not even good enough or clear enough or capable of describing to you what was life transforming. When Paul talks about the therefore, he's talking about the camping chair. So what is it there for? Well, Paul writes his letters with the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is always, this is what God has done. This is who you were without Jesus. And this is what Jesus has done on the cross and throughout history. And now because of this declarative truth, therefore, therefore the imperative, 
God's done this, now you do this. And this is what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what kind of mercy is he talking about? Well, let me just read a couple of passages from Romans chapters one through 11 because what he's talking about is not some tweetable verse that makes you feel good or a great worship set that you get to experience. He's talking about what Christ has done for you and you need to have the capacity to sit in awe, to wait for the sun to rise when it's cold, to really grasp what's required of you. Romans chapter one, verse, uh, we'll go with verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You're like, wrath of God, oh no. If you're a father here or a mother and somebody intentionally harmed your child and you don't feel anger because a boundary was crossed, if you don't feel angry because they intentionally hurt your kid, there's something wrong with your parenting. The wrath is a justifiable response for the wrong that's taken on in creation through rebellion and sin. Are you guys okay? Since what we may, uh, sorry, it goes on. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. You look at the Grand Canyon, you look at the human body, you look at an eyeball and you think there must be a creator. Those qualities speak to something more powerful than random acts of randomness in the cosmos. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Now what, you know what that sounds like to me? He's like, here's the, Paul's addressing the problem with all of sin in humanity. It doesn't start with Paul saying sin and rebellion and wickedness. Here's where it starts, in gratitude towards God. Where does all wickedness begin? with a worship issue. He'll later go on to say it led to immorality and it led to their enslavement. God handed them over to be judged. Skip to Romans chapter two, verse five. It says, but because of your stubbornness, this is us before Christ and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. Verse six, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Oh my gosh, we deserve what's coming. You deserve the wrath that's coming because of your rebellion and sin. This is the gospel, by the way. Self-worship rejects this idea. God's here to make my life feel good and warm and cozy. No, it's not. You deserve the justifiable wrath and the consequences of your action apart from Christ. That's where, that's where creation is headed. To those who are persistent in doing good, seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Those who follow Jesus will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Romans 5, he, he builds this case. We're going through 11. I'm giving you highlights. High level. Here we go. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since his blood has, uh, uh, why is my text? Since his blood has, 
Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Another reason to read the actual Bible. You can copy and paste strong. There we go. <clears throat> verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Oh, no, let me keep reading. For if we were, we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Romans 6, 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Anyone here struggling with sin, anyone here struggling with insecurity, fear, anxiety, things that are going the wrong way in your life, count it as dead because of the cross. But now Christ wants to dwell inside of you and make you alive. Verse uh, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, and on and on and on it goes. Romans 1 through 11, here's what God has done through Christ for you, for all of creation. He's given you everything. So just so you're clear and you don't have any confusion if you ever leave, the gospel is this, Jesus died for you. You can't earn your way, perform your way, prove your way, walk up a ladder to get it. You can't yoga practice it, juice fast it, soul cycle it. You get it because of the cross. That's it. All you can do is say thank you and receive grace, a covering over all the weakness, a covering over the brokenness, a covering over the sin. Now he says, therefore, therefore, In view of God's mercies, let's not run to the Jesus and my body, Jesus and my marriage working out. Jesus and my career being successful, Jesus and my life being hashtag blessed. Jesus and my dreams of ministry being what they're supposed to be based on the prophetic words someone spoke to me at a random event. Jesus, period. Jesus, full stop. In view of Jesus, in view of the gospel and everything that's ever done, the only response adequate off your lives, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. That's worship. That's the only thing proper. Now, I got, I got, I, I'm going over. No, I'm not, I'm going to do it. We're going to go. We have as much time. Let's go. That, that's the first image was worship is this, laying down. The second image is this idea that we don't have in our culture. He's like, okay, in view of everything, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole self, not just your physical, your entire existence, your resources of life, your finances, your time, your energy, your, your, your influences, your strengths, your, 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 um, your wealth and your, your relationships and connections, your whole life 
Offer all of yourself as a living sacrifice. That word sacrifice is another image. Now stay with me because we don't have a sacrifice culture. We have a convenient culture. We have a comfort culture. We have a self-serving agenda every way. We read scripture through the lens of this is my for me, not for us. We read any story and we want to be the hero. Let me replay what this means. Living sacrifice. We'll get to living in a second. Let's talk about sacrifice. The first time the word, it's connected to the word offering and sacrifice. And it's tied to the Old Testament. The first time is Genesis 4. So right in the beginning of humanity, Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices to Yahweh, to God, before they even know the name Yahweh. They're offering sacrifice. Genesis 8 with Noah, he offers a sacrifice. But the most famous passage where there's a sacrifice required is Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son. And then in the story, God shows up and Abraham says, God provides the sacrifice. This is a, a foreshadow into what's to come, which we know is the, a foreshadow to Jesus where God once and for all climbs up the mountain like Isaac and becomes the one true sacrifice once and for all. But that word sacrifice is significant because that's what pagan and religious cultures do. They offer sacrifices. What do you do to offer a sacrifice? First, you build an altar. <clears throat> you build this mechanism that can burn up the thing you're bringing. So every pagan culture would have done this at the time that Genesis, Leviticus, all the Old Testament scriptures were written. Sacrifice was a pagan idea. At the time Paul writes, non-Christian pagan cultures offered sacrifice. If you wanted to bless your business, you would worship the business God that's associated to your business. You need your harvest in your fields, you worship the rain God. You need sun, you worship the sun God. You need more kids, you worship the goddess of fertility, Artemis. And what do you do to worship? You don't go and sing songs with a worship band. You bring financial resource. You bring something from your flock and you kill it on the altar. It's dead before it gets on the altar or it's slain on the altar and the blood is poured out as the sacrifice and then it's burned up. Are you guys okay with this graphic illustration? Stay with me because it gets more graphic. There's an, so sacrifice is connected to worship. You can't imagine sacrifice without worship. There's a book dedicated to worship. You think, oh, it's the Psalms. No. That's a, that's a book dedicated to lament and praise, which is worship. But the book that's dedicated to worship is Leviticus. So let's go to our favorite book, Gen uh, Leviticus chapter one. <laughs> Stay, we're like going over time on this. Here we go. It says this, verse one of Leviticus, the Lord called to Moses and said to him from the tent meeting, he said, verse two, here it is. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, that word offering is Corbin in Hebrew, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. So 
Leviticus is this book that will go on to talk about the five various kinds of sacrifices. And there's all sorts of instructions on what to do for the sacrifices, what to do with the different animals that you bring. You bring the loins to one animal and there's a long lobe of the liver and the blood of this other animal. And there's, if you have guilt, you do this. If you have sinned against someone, you do this. If there's a Thanksgiving, there's this. There's, there's five different types of main sacrifices in the Old Testament. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the Thanksgiving offering, and the guilt offering. And every time you did something wrong, every time you made a mistake, you would bring a sacrifice to the altar. Every time you yelled at your wife, you did something that you shouldn't have done, you cursed at your kids, or you cheated someone in business, you would bring a sacrifice to atone for the sin as worship. Let's say you had a major sin and you're bringing a guilt offering for restitution. You would take the animal that was part of your flock and you would bring it from your flock to the tabernacle or the tent and bring it to the priest. And the priest would stand with you there and you'd put your hand on the animal signifying that this animal represents you and then you would confess what you've done to them and then you would kill the animal as, in ato- as an atonement for what you've done so that the blood would cover the sin and so that you kn- they knew that the animal l- dies so that you could live. That's sacrifice. Now, what's crazy about the Old Testament, I just want to say, is that they had a sacrifice for anything that could go wrong. So you didn't know in ancient primitive cultures where you stood with the different gods. So if you needed more rain, you'd sacrifice more and more sacrifice. In 1 Kings, uh, the prophets of Baal walk around the the altar that they prepared, wanting it to be um, consumed by fire. And in that moment, uh, after providing more and more sacrifice, more and more sacrifice, they walk around, uh, Elijah's taunting them, and then they take out knives and they start cutting their own blood. Because when you don't know where you stand with the gods who are angry, you can't help but offer more and more of yourself to where you're cutting yourself. You give your firstborn so that the gods can be appeased. But even in Leviticus, the revolutionary teaching of Leviticus is you know where you stand with Yahweh. You know that if you messed up, there's a way to draw near to God. He's a God that wants to draw near to you. And so every time you mess up, you bring the sacrifice, you bring the sacrifice, you continue to build the sacrifice. But in every occasion, can I just make a statement? You bring a sacrifice that costs you something. Sacrifice means you never come empty-handed. It means it costs something. It's not easy, it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, it's not careful, it's messy, and it always ends with blood. That's the nature of sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is messy. Worship isn't easy. It isn't comfortable. It's not convenient. It shouldn't be careful. It should cost you something. And at the very minimum, it means whenever you worship, it means you never come empty-handed. It's the nature of worship. God's looking for worshipers. He's looking for you to come In environments like this, this is different than the rest of your life. I'll get back to that in a second. He's looking for you to prepare for this moment that you can't wait to bring an offering to the Lord that you've been preparing for the last six days. Monday through Saturday, you're cultivating your best so that you can bring an offering of praise and thanksgiving to the God who did everything for you because your response is thank you. That's worship. One last thing I want to say. 
thing about altars is that you bring dead sacrifice. It dies and it stays on the altar. The thing about living sacrifice is that they want to crawl off the altar. When Paul says the only fitting response for the gospel that you've received so generously from God is to now offer your whole life in all of its facilities and capacities as a living sacrifice means every single moment you live, you crawl up on that altar and say, this is for you. The problem is there are bits and pieces of our lives we want to keep for ourselves and they somehow crawl off the altar. So it's like, I'll give Jesus everything in my spiritual life, but I'm gonna hold back my finances. I'm gonna hold back my sexuality. I'm gonna hold back my weekends. I'm gonna hold back my career where I have to be this kind of person in this industry. And Paul's saying, no, 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 everything is on the altar. Your time your money, your relationship with your boyfriend, your relationship with your girlfriend, your marriage, your parenting, all of that, all of the ordinariness that is your life is the sacred space where God seeks worship. So what's crawling off the altar in your life? What needs to get today back up on that altar as an offering to the Lord. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.